Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, a gentleman who's been on the show before, and he's so intriguing that I had to have him back because he's, uh, he's let's see, he's an author. He is a gene- genealogist. Is that how you say it? Yep, that's you can say it that way. Yes, absolutely. Genealogist, family historian. I like to use that word sometimes. Oh, family historian is good, too. And he's also an, did I say artist? He's an author, artist, and and his wife is an animal communicator. And they have got, it's, and he was in the uh, Coast Guard for 35 years. So he's been around, and he's done a lot of things. John, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Kevin. Thank you very much. And thanks again for having me on. I was really looking forward to this. Um, so probably be the last podcast interview with you prior to the Behind the Power event, which is coming up in October. Yep. So hopefully we'll touch on that later on in the in the show. Yeah, well, actually, we can start with that if you'd like, because that is a uh, program that you are going to be a speaker at. And are you doing a breakout room as well? I am. Yeah, the um, my. my Right. So there's there's three different components to what I'm going to be participating for four really, if you want to get down to it. The first part is I'm going to be presenting a 15 minute speech and I'm going to be focusing on codependency because that is a product a project. Well, I can't speak tonight. That is a problem that I have experienced throughout my life. And it wasn't something that I realized was manifesting up until I met Allison Roberts. Uh, so that's that's the first part. Second part is the breakout room. And I'm going to change it up a little bit uh, with my focus being on some of the challenges that I faced shifting from, I'll use the Coast Guard, but basically shifting from a a lifelong investment in time and effort and basically changing careers, because that was a really big challenge for me. And I think there are a lot of people out there that have similar challenges if they're shifting from a career over here and trying to find another career after that, it can be frustrating sometimes. That's the second piece. The third piece is the panels. So I'm going to be participating in a couple panel sessions with some of my peers on stage, uh, one of which will be talking about vulnerabilities and things like that. And then the fourth piece, of course, is I will be showcasing some of my art. So I'm going to have a table that's going to be set up at the Hotel Coley in Atlanta. So if folks want to stop by to check it out. They're welcome to do that. And it's really exciting because the event is uh, the the premium event has sold out, mm-hmm. which which is really cool. And but you can still go and you can still go virtually, absolutely um, from anywhere in the world. So uh, we, we can talk about that. And it's it's called Behind the Power. Go to behindthepowerevent.com and you can get tickets to it and find out all about it. All the speakers that are going to be there. I think it'll be a lot of fun for everybody. I wanted to touch bases with you first of all on this this thing that is that goes on with you know a lot of it is older guys like you know like uh, you and me <laughs> that are you know you were involved in a career for 35 years in the military or the coast guard which I consider part of the military and um, and knowing what you had to do when somebody was telling you what to do or you were telling them what to do for that entire time, you had a rank, you had people that were were uh, um, saluting you. And and it was it was your existence was purely 
it was there and it was clear uh, what you would get up in the morning and do and what your day would be consist of. And and then you go home and you do the same thing again tomorrow and stuff. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, you retired. And then you were just John. Yep. yep. That that is a major transition, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was it was a much bigger transition than I was expecting, Kevin. Um, and I tell you, if you really want to know the, the you know, how, how horrible it was, I mean, the conversation with Christine, my wife would really be the one that can give you the, the ground truth on that because she had to deal with me. Right. Um, it's no nicer way of putting it than that. Um, but you know, the big thing for me, and you're right, you know, when you're, when you're in an environment that's very organized, very rigid and very structured, you do get used to it. You know, it is a, it is an institutional type organization uh, and, and not to compare the military with prison because there's clear differences, but conceptually it's, it's the same because you're, you are told what to do. You're told what to wear. You're told when to show up. You're told when you can leave. Uh, and, and quite frankly, the higher up in rank you get in any military organization, the same applies, right? Yeah. Whether or not you're uh, somebody right out of boot camp from any of the armed forces or you're the senior most person, you still have a quote unquote nine to five job. Matter of fact, it's not even a nine to five job. It, it can literally be a 24 seven job, right? Yeah. Because for me, most of my career, I was on call. And when you're on call, you need to be prepared at all times. So um, that adjustment going from that to, Hey, John, you can do whatever you want to do now. Well, my, my, my first thought was, well, what do I want to do? You know, it's hard. Yeah, it, it really is. It, 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 my father was an executive with Nordstrom's for, for um, almost 40 years. And when he retired, he found several things about his life had changed. First of all, he was no longer Mr. McDonald because he was an executive. And so everywhere he went, he had people that were scurrying around, making sure that their racks were right and the displays were right and everybody was working and all that kind of stuff. And then he retired and he was just plain old Jack and uh, Jack had nothing to do. And then he went home and he'd work six days a week for most of his adult life. And he invaded my mother's house um, because it was she had it set up the way she wanted it. And then he had nothing to do. And so he was kicking around the house, which caused them to break up for a period of time mm -hmm. because it was really stressful for both of them because they they didn't even know each other that well. Uh, because they just kind of passed in the night kind of thing. So it was yeah, it was hard. And I don't want to pry about about you and Christine or anything like that. But uh, I imagine that that is an adjustment for um, a person that's been set up the house the way they want it and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you're underfoot. Well, yeah, I mean, it, and it's particularly bad even today after two years, it's, 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 I mean, we're, we're working on it and we're working through um, managing some of the complexities. I mean, something as simple as laundry I mean, you wouldn't think that that would be a contentious issue. I mean, socks are dirty. You throw them in the machine they, and then you dry them and they're done, right? But who does the laundry when the person that may maybe has historically been doing it now has to share that responsibility? I mean, it seems like a really easy question to answer, but nope. it's not because even scheduling is different. 
right? Like me, to this day, I get up between five and five thirty. I I I I just wake up naturally between five and five thirty. So you get up on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you poor man. <laughs> no, I, I enjoy it. I've always liked the morning anyway, and I and I am programmed to get up that early, right? Um, but then again, I'm in bed by nine o'clock at night. So there is a trade-off there, right? Um, but she doesn't. She gets up later. So it's like working with it's like me working with you, Kevin, every day. You're on West Coast time, I'm on East Coast time, and somehow we need to make all this work. It's no different in that relationship. So here I come in with my militaristic way of thinking, I get up at 5.30 and it's like 6.30, 7.30. Meanwhile, the laundry's sitting there. Well, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. I'm not doing anything else anyway, right? And she gets up, she's like, well, what did you do the laundry for? I was gonna do it. You know what I mean? So, and that's just one small thing. You multiply that now with everything else and it's something, there we go. She, she's confirming exactly what I'm saying. It yes. does It does take patience. And I think what what what's really good for me is I do have, Christine, who's a very strong person, you know, and she's been very good at communicating that to me. And I think being in Allison's program, both of us has actually supported this dialogue much better than it could have been. So, by the way, I'm 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 really uh, uh, taken with how you said that. Mm -hmm. She's a strong woman and has really communicated that well to me. And somebody else might have said. She is tough and she yells at me all the time. <laughs> she she doesn't yell and that's the thing. She um she does her very best to understand. I mean, we got we got married um when I hit the 20 year mark with the Coast Guard. So I I you know, I was matter of fact, I was planning on retiring that year when I met her and the reason I didn't retire is because I thought, well, I'm getting married. I need an income. And by the way, I, sp I speak a little bit about this uh, in Atlanta because this is part of my overall codependency issues that I'm, that I've dealt with my whole life. Right. I need, I need to rescue my new wife. So I need a job and I need to do this thing to rescue her. Right. Um, but for the last 15 years, she has, and has been very well aware of, you know, my commitment to the service and to the American people, right? Through the services that the Coast Guard provides, search and rescue, law enforcement, you know, drug interdiction, the whole nine yards, um, and, the, and the hours. I mean, I was working 13, 14 hours a day. Um, so her being witness to that, I think made her a little more understanding to what I was going through when I did retire. Now, at some point, at some point though, she's gonna say, all right, it's been two years. It's been three years, you know, time to fix this. Right. And I'm working on it uh, and we're getting there, uh, but it is a very slow, slow process. So I would think that my, my advice to anybody, you know, and that would probably be something that I would discuss and probably will during that breakout session is to be patient with yourself because I might be a little slower than other people, but either way it takes time. It, 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 it's a whole lifestyle change. It's everything about you. And even how you feel about yourself changes. Mm -hmm. That happened with my dad because he was, suddenly he was just Jack. And, and nobody, nobody came around. His friends were still working. He retired a little early. And, and he had nothing to do. 
and he didn't know what to do with himself because he'd spent so much time doing the one thing he could could not transition i'm i'm so glad that you are have are in the process of transitioning right. as into an artist and an author and you're and you're doing all kinds of things so you're you're transitioning quite well well thank you yeah i um have and have always had a lot of hobbies which have the potential to be quite exciting. I mean, I it's really it's really nice that I'm I've postured myself where I have some flexibility now where I can focus in on artwork or writing or you know family histories and genealogies and things like that. Um, but where the struggle for me lies is now I do have that time, where do I put that focus? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I, I don't necessarily want to and I don't, well, maybe I, maybe I do, maybe I don't know what that focus area ought to be. You know, um, it's, it's kind of a complex thing for probably a lot of us in this position is, you know, where, where do you put all your eggs? Which basket do you put your eggs in? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I was a bus driver for 12 years and there were, there were guys that worked, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week as a bus driver for 25, 30 years. And what happened to them was they would retire and their whole family was, they, they didn't have a good family structure around them because they were working all the time. Right. And a lot of them, and a lot of them, and I know you've, you've heard of this, a lot of, a lot of them just uh, ended up uh, passing away. Yeah. Uh, oh Yeah. yeah. Because a lot of people, when they retire, they they end up not knowing what to do. They end up sitting in front of the television uh, 28, 30 hours a week and and stuff. And, and their life, for, for all intents and purposes, at the very moment when they have the freedom and hopefully the financial wherewithal to be able to do some fun stuff, they all of a sudden just sit there. Yeah. And they don't feel like they can do anything. And that, and that is sad. And that's what I hope. I hope that's what your talk is going to be about in, uh, in Atlanta is, is to always do how always be looking for the next thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's one of the, the key points for any, any transition process, you know, you know, there's, there's, there, are, there are folks that I know uh, even transitioning from shorter periods of time, you know, five or 10 years that they've obligated, you know, in a particular role or function at an organization and they say, well, I'm going to take the next two, three months off to just, that's okay to maybe do that for a week or so or two weeks. But I think that if you, if you become too complacent or too, um, if, if you don't focus on the next thing, I think that's what you're describing will happen. I think you tend to fall into I, I want to make sure I say this right. I think that you you can very easily fall into a position where you lose that desire to hit a goal or meet an objective. Because if if you do have a steady income, for example, you know, like for me, if I'm get, if I'm getting a retirement check in, and let's say that it's enough to meet my basic needs, what's my motivation then to do anything other than like you're suggesting, just sit and watch TV? There isn't. There isn't. Yeah. So, um, unless you have a passion for yeah. what it is that you're going to transition to, right? And that's so right. So, and that's the key thing. And I think that if you if you do stop and, and lose that sense of motivation, motivation is such a hard thing to get back. It is. 
I mean, I, I used to run and all it took was maybe a month or two of me not running and I completely lost that motivation. And to get it back is like pulling teeth. Or getting, a root, or getting a root canal, which I just got yesterday, by the way. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I've had a, pun, a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think you know what I'm trying to say. Hopefully hopefully the folks listening to this podcast understand, understand what I'm saying as well. I, I But but I agree. I, I, I think if and, and it's not a matter of looking to do something for the sake of doing. I think it's a matter of always looking for something to keep you excited about life. Yes. Because that's really what it's all about. I mean, life should be a series of excitements. Even if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to turn out, you know, new challenges, new adventures, new new experiences really is what makes what we're doing here worth it. Yeah. And so. when you stop doing that, then then things go downhill for you right. and and the and the people around you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it makes it really tough for mm -hmm. when other people are are either dependent upon you or they care about you to see you just kind of stop. And and that's the thing. My my dad, when he retired, he didn't feel like he wanted to go volunteer. You know, we we said go. You know, go walk some dogs. Go do. He loved dogs and stuff, and go do stuff like that. And uh, um. And he wouldn't do it because it's like, well, I want to get paid for this stuff and you know and all that. So he ended up, he joined a country club and played golf. And it was really interesting because what he did was he now, instead of working at Nordstrom, which he had for so long, he now was a member of the country club. And so playing golf was his job. So he'd get up at seven o'clock in the morning. He'd go down to the club. He'd get coffee on the way. He'd sit there and have coffee and talk to the guys. They'd play around to golf, and uh, then then they would go and play gin, and then he would go home at five. So it was like he had a job, and that was he was what was accustomed. That what was what he was accustomed to. Yeah, yeah. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. You know, no. And it, <laughs> and it got his butt out of the house so my mom wouldn't shoot him. Oh, there you go. See, the laundry would have got done on her schedule then, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, and uh, this is uh, uh, Dr. Marnie, and she's a friend of the show. And uh, Dr. Marnie, i got to have you back on again, so let's get in touch. Um, another great interview. John, you've got a great attitude about life, and you do. And as the crow flies, she just says, hello, how you doing? It's, hey, it's him, Kim Nishida. I know her. Yes, I know her too. She was on the other day, wasn't she? She was, and she's going to be on again. She was delightful, as you guys all are. You guys all are. And, you know, we mentioned Christine, and Christine is an animal communicator, and something happened in your house in the last couple, three weeks that is um, it's life-altering and it's life-changing. Tell us what happened. Yeah, um... Yeah, after, yeah, after 13, 13 and a half years, almost 14 years, our beloved Milkbone, who you can see in the background for those that have video, uh, he passed away. Um, he had about four or five months ago had a case of vertigo, um, which is uh, um, um, something that happened inside of his brain, I guess. And, and he had some issues with that. And, and I'm not quite sure he ever recovered from that. Um, he was starting to have some breathing difficulties and then it just went downhill. So, 
about three, three or four weeks ago, um, we took him to the vet and unfortunately the vet couldn't do anything and we had to say our goodbyes to him. Um, and, you know, Milkbone was, for me, the only dog that has ever been in my life. Uh, growing up, we had stray cats. <laughs> you know, we, we had a ton of stray cats outside our house. So we had, we had them coming from all over. And we used to name them as kids. You know, we had one that was called Short Tail and one that was called Softball Head. And, you know, we had all these really weird names for these stray cats. Um, but we never had a dog. And, you know, Milkbone's story real quick is my um, Christine and I had got got married up here in Massachusetts and immediately the Coast Guard gave us orders to West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia, wild and wonderful, right? Wonderful place to live. But when you're moving someplace new, it can be a struggle to adapt to the community, adapt to the climate, the whole nine yards. So Christine and I, we were having some struggles. Our first year of marriage was not exactly the easiest thing. And I thought to myself, this is how husbands think, I know, I'll get Christine somebody that she can talk to. So instead of going out and hiring a friend, I decided to bring home a Springer Spaniel. And I remember uh, telling her, hey, honey, I brought home a puppy. And the first thing she says was, that's a puppy? Because Springer Spaniels as puppies are pretty big. And I think it was maybe eight weeks old. So he was a, I mean, I was lugging this dog in. Um, but from that day forward, those two bonded and, um, and I did as well. He became, he became our best friend. He was with us all the time. He, a very well-traveled dog. I mean, he lived in West Virginia, lived in Hawaii, lived in California, um, lived in, um, you know, of course, Massachusetts and he's been to New York. He's been to Georgia. He's been all over the place, but He's really going to be missed. And for those folks that have dogs, cats, or any kind of animals, I, I, I absolutely now more than ever understand what it feels like to lose somebody that's so close. So um, the good news is I know I'll see him again. I just know it. I feel it inside my soul. I, I know that I'll see him again. Um, it's just going to take me a little while before we get to play again. So, and I, I'm, and I know he's looking forward to seeing Christine too. Now, Christine is an animal communicator. Mm -hmm. And when, when uh, Milkbone was going downhill, did she have an opportunity to talk with him? Did she get any, any thoughts, any, anything from him? Or was he kind of, sometimes it's hard to communicate when they're not feeling well. Yeah, I, I'm not going to speak for my wife and, and what she does or how she how she communicates, because I don't really know that much about it. Um, but I know that towards the end, I know that she was picking up that he was feeling a little bit of confusion. I, I don't think he wanted to go. Um, but I but I don't think he had much of a choice. I mean, I'm not an animal communicator, but I but I was there when you know, when, when we saw him at the vet and, and Christine and I made the mutual decision that he, he had to, you know, cross the rainbow bridge. There was no way around it. I mean, I'm not going to describe it, but he just was, there's no way we could have brought him home. There's just yeah. no way, you know? Um, but 
I, I think he, I, from what she said, I think the only thing that she picked up on was that he was just a little confused as to what was happening because what was really interesting, Kevin, is as much as he was struggling to breathe, when he saw us, he waggled his tail. Oh, yeah. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. So he was very aware of what was going on. It's just his, it's like, it's like with us, I think with, we get to a certain point in our lives where our bodies are just start to not function. Our minds are sharp and we're like, dude, you know, I got all this stuff. I got to do this and this and this. And it's like, well, you know, I can't even run anymore because my knees hurt. Right. It's. Yep, I'm there. It's uh, <laughs> I'm going down the rainbow bridge. Hopefully it'll be a while before. I, <laughs> I hope so too. Right. But um, actually, yeah. yeah. But, but, and I got to tell you, John, and this is from years of working with animal communicators and, and folks that have talked to my dogs and stuff like that. They look at, they look at passing on as differently than we do yeah. uh, in that they don't have any fear of it yeah. uh, because it's just a natural part of life. And so, and he does have a soul and he will see you again and he's waiting for you. And that time will go very quickly. Yeah, it'll, yeah, you know something. I think you're right. I think it'll go a lot quicker than I think, because the older I get, the more I sense how fast time moves. You know what I mean? So, um, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen tomorrow or the next day, but I think, you know, the next what, what am I? Fifty something now? Fifty six? I mean, hypothetically, if I live to eighty, which would be super, you're only looking at another three decades, which is far less than the time I spent in the Coast Guard for Pete's sake. You know what I mean? So relatively speaking it's not that long so oh no and and see since there is no time over there yep exactly uh, it, it it moves it moves really quickly and before you know it you guys will be together now the only caveat there is sometimes mm -hmm. dogs like to come back in another in another dog suit mm -hmm. to enjoy the same family because of the relationship that they had so i would implore you if there is a dog that magically, I don't know how, but it just magically shows up at your doorstep, um, don't disregard that. Wouldn't wouldn't dream of it. Wouldn't dream of it. Yes, indeed. And and uh, and hugs to you and Christine. John Milkbone Soul is always with you, and that's that is that is absolutely true. And you know, it, it's uh, amazing. We. Um, you know, dogs have a good, a good friend of mine who's an animal behavioralist says, um, dogs have masters, cats have staff. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, it's always nice to come home to somebody who's always happy to see you. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't get that when I, when I was married, I didn't always get that, that, you know, that gee, honey, I'm happy to see you kind of look from yeah. my, my significant other, but I always did for my dog. So. Yeah. 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 He, he was, he was, he was wonderful. He was. So now, now in addition to what you do, cause you're an author, you've got, you, you write a bunch of stuff and I'm curious to know how you got into genealogy. Well, that's, thank you for asking that, Kevin. That's a really good question. And, um, the short, the short story to that is this. My mother for years was interested in family history and this was well before the internet. So yeah. she would write letters to people in other countries trying to track down her side of the family, 
right? So her maiden name was Hinton. And over time, she learned that the Hintons came from England. So she would converse with folks from England to try to establish that particular family tree. In the meantime, she identified a potential connection to the early Plymouth colonies, specifically Edward Bangs, who came in from England in 1623 aboard the Anne. And I still remember, I think it was in the early 90s when she called me when I was living in Massachusetts, thrilled to confirm that we were in fact descended from Edward Bangs, the pilgrim, because he was third ship over, um, that we had that direct ancestry there. So me living in Massachusetts, this was again, probably right about the time that the internet started to be a thing, probably the early 90s, um, asked me to go to the library to do some research. So I'd go to the library down there in downtown Salem, look some things up for her. So I would help her a little bit remotely because she was living in New York State. I was living in Massachusetts. Uh, all that wasn't enough to really get my juices boiling yet for genealogy or family history, but that's kind of how I dip my toe into the arena. All right. Awesome. Fast forward from the 90s to 2006, my mother passes away. Oh. Okay. Um, it's a sad thing. I inherit what must have been 20 boxes of genealogy. <laughs> yeah. So you, get, kind of, you kind of got forced into it. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say forced into it, but I'm like, wow, this is this is and this is this is when I moved with Christine to West Virginia. This is right around that same time period, or actually a little bit before. No, it was right around the same time period. So I've got all these boxes of genealogical material. Meanwhile, we now have the internet. So my first thing was, well, I hate to throw out all my mom's work. I can't keep it. So why don't I start to confirm what she found by using ancestry.com, by using you know, familysearch.org and a lot of these other sites. And when I started doing that, of course, everything she found was accurate, but I was able to convert it through these or confirm it through these sites. Um, and then in the meantime, if once things were, once things were found, I would just get rid of the old paperwork. Cause a lot of it was just like literally dot matrix printer type papers, right? I mean, like old school stuff, right? Um, just keeping some of the essential original paperworks, you know, papers, things that she would get from, from England or some handwritten documents and stuff like that. Um, but during that process, I'm like, well, where does my coal ancestry come from? Because my mother never focused on that. She never looked any of it up because she was doing her family. Right, right. right. Um, so the coal line, now that's, that's really where my love for genealogy sprung because the story with my dad is this, is growing up, he never once spoke about his family at all. At all. Like, who are your parents? Never spoke about it. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Never said anything. Where are you from? The only thing we knew is that he was born in Syracuse, New York. That was it. Wow. Okay. Um, now, I couldn't ask him in the year 2006 or beyond because he had died in 1987. So he wasn't around. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to focus on the coal ancestry. All right. So it didn't take too long to start making connections. Um, I suspected that he was 
the son of a Frederick Cole that lived in the Syracuse area. So once I made that connection, I found out who he was married to. It was a German immigrant that came over in the early 19th, uh, early 20th century on one of the boats. She was like 16 years old. Her name was Rose. They ended up getting married. My father was born. And then, of course, I am here. Interesting thing about them is my grandfather, Frederick, was 20 years older than his wife. My father, coincidentally, was 20 years older than his wife. I am eight years older than my wife, so I didn't quite hit that 20. I tried really hard, but didn't try well. um, But getting back to the coal line, what, what, I, what I really wanted to solve was who was Frederick's father. And the problem was, is I couldn't find any records for that until I came across a book that showed a Frederick Cole, which was the son of an Orange Cole. The guy's name was Orange Theodore Cole. And why I thought that was Frederick's father is because the middle name was Theodore, Orange Theodore Cole. Frederick's middle name was Theodore, Frederick Theodore Cole. And to never guess what my father's middle name was. Theodore. Correct. So what are the odds that Theodore isn't a family name? The thing, the problem that I had was the birth date for Frederick listed under orange was a year off. Oh. Fortunately, New York State has really good records. So I sent away for the marriage record for Frederick Cole, which lists Orange Cole as his father. Oh, wow. Orange was a Civil War veteran for the Union. And once I had his name, I was able to then trace the Cole surname all the way back to Plymouth, this time to the Winthrop Fleet, Winthrop Fleet that came over in the 1630s. So both my family tree lines both came in through the Plymouth colonies right around the same time. And what's really interesting, Kevin, is that when you look at these family trees as they branch out, at some point they do reconnect. So my mother and father were actually 10th cousins. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? That that re that really is. And is it kind of like? By the way, Christine says you found appreciation for your ancestry, which is Absolutely which is really cool. Because my ancestry goes back to my grand to my grandparents, and as after that, there's nothing. Um, but is is it kind of like a a detective uh, novel that you're just kind of looking at clues about things and and stuff like that, and, and then you're trying to piece stuff together it, it absolutely is and i tell you i get so lost in that um that it for a while there it caused some marital issues with christine i'm not gonna lie it really did i was spending so much time focused on that you know after work i would come home and work on that that it's like i never saw her and i had to kind of back off a little bit my choice to do that not hers but um but yeah it is um and, and sometimes what, what makes it more interesting is when you start to research other families that, that aren't even related to you, right? So I've done family histories for, for friends of mine, you know, over the years. And it's surprising how many people that I've done at random, you know, and what I mean by random is, you know, I'll do yours and, and I'll do somebody's from, you know, um, Arkansas and I'll do somebody's from Vermont. What I'm finding is that more often than not, I can, tr I can tie these people into my family tree, which means then we're related. Um, I, 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 
my first one was my first non-relative was a friend of mine I did in Hawaii. I found out and, and his family came from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and we share a common ancestor. So we're cousins, <laughs> right? I did a friend of mine that lives in New Hampshire and found out that we're cousins. I, I did one for a friend of mine I met in Boston, find out we're cousins. Our, our secretary in Boston, when I was working there, my last job with the Coast Guard, I did her genealogy and we're cousins. It's like, we, we literally are all connected, Kevin. And, and, and you know, when, when we look at the world and we, and we watch all this negative talk between people, I think what we're missing is that at the, at, at the fundamental level, we are all related to each other. And it makes me wonder if you knew that, would it make things any different? I don't know, but. Well, if, if you knew it, but more importantly, if you believed it, um, because, you know, even, even, but you see your, your family tree goes back 400 years in, in the United States or yeah, right. that's in, just in the U S yeah. In the colonies and stuff. And then it goes back even farther than that. But it, you know, if you, and thank you for for saying that that we are all connected because I know fundamentally deep in my soul that we are all connected, and it would be it would change it would literally change everything if you no longer thought somebody was different or you were fearful or you 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 were disdainful of their past or the the color of their skin or who they loved or any of that. We're, if we could get through that, it would fundamentally change the world. And I think we're, we're on the path to get there. But sadly, I'm going to be across the Rainbow Bridge before we get there, I'm afraid. Well, we, you know what? I, I would agree that we will get there at some point. Um, when, I don't know. And I would agree. I don't think I'm going to be around when that happens either. Um, but I think it, it starts with people like us. I think it starts with wanting to see things better. And, and really, and I'll be honest with you, what, what really helped me through the years is things like family history, looking at your own family and understanding where you come from. Because, you know, you've got, you've got people that don't necessarily know that they might be related to people that they currently hate you know what i mean oh and yeah. I, I don't necessarily mean contemporary but let's say for let's let's take the whole slavery issue really quick i mean you could be running around hating the african-american community and not even realize that in your family tree you might have african-american ancestry or relatives in there that might have been slaves which might even change your entire perspective on that argument you wouldn't even know that yes um, indeed Indeed. Right. Or or. You know, or or you don't even think it's an issue, so you don't even address the subject or it's somebody else's problem, not knowing that if you go back five or six generations, your third, fourth great grandparents own slaves. Mm -hmm. How would that and, make right? I mean, so it, I think it can change your perspective. It, it would if, you know, as an example, if you are. Somebody who is, uh, for lack of a better term, I'll just say a, well, just just your garden, run-of-the-mill racist. Mm -hmm. uh, they believe in the white privilege and they believe in white people. But if you go back into their genealogy, 
And if they at one time had relatives who were slave owners, chances are they have a brother or sister or a cousin or somebody from back then that was African-American. Yeah. And because they, they did a lot of, um, you know, even, who was it, Alexander Hamilton? Um, he he had a mistress who was an African-American, I oh, believe. Right. Yeah. And and stuff. So so I I wonder what it would do to your psyche if you were a devout person that was a devout racist and then you had an ancestor who was that race. It would have to change your opinion, I would think. I, I would hope that it would. But I think with that comes a comes a willingness to right. I think, you know, if, if when it comes to beliefs specifically, and that's why um you know, I'll bring up Allison again. That's why Allison's program is so important to me and why it's so important to the people that are working with her and why, why it's so important to the world is that she, she helps us change our minds about things because, you know, when we are very focused on anything, whether or not it's a racial issue or a political issue or, you know, a laundry issue, those are just thoughts in our head. Yeah. Right. And thoughts can be changed because we change our thoughts all the time. You know, how many times did the alarm go off this morning and you thought, well, I think I'm going to hit the snooze button for another eight minutes on my iPhone. So you hit the snooze button, you changed your mind. So if you can change your mind for that, you can change your mind about anything. It's just, it takes a willingness to do that. And I think that's the part that some folks are just resistant to. I couldn't agree more. Right. I couldn't agree more. By the way, that's Allison Roberts. Go to AllisonRoberts.com to find out more information about that. And also behind the power event, which is coming in October, October 19th to 21st. And um, it'll be a lot of fun for everybody who gets to go. Now you can go virtually. And and now the uh, the rooms are sold out. Darn it! I wanted to go to uh, swim in the pool that was on the roof. That would be fun. <clears throat> but then everybody else would leave if I got in, if I got. Oh, in. I don't Maybe we'll jump in there with you. Who knows? <laughs> that could that could very well be. By the way, we're talking with John Cole. He's an author. He's an artist. Let Let's talk about you know genealogies. What? Well, no, before I leave that subject, I got to ask you because. There is a rumor in my family that my great-grandfather on my mother's side had a family of five in St. Louis or the Midwest somewhere and left them there and, and went out to Oregon and had another family of five. Is there any way genealogy-wise that you can trace that back? How would you trace that family that is was in the Midwest somewhere uh, to him when he was in Oregon. It, it, what time frame are we talking about? 1860s, 1870s, somewhere in there? It would pretty much all be through the census records initially because 1850 is when the first U.S. census started to collect everybody's names, right, for, oh, for households. Prior to that, they pretty much just focused on the males, right? So it would be you know, 1840 and earlier, it'd be Kevin McDonald, your name would be listed. And then for those members of the household, you know, there'd be one female that would be over the age of 40. There would be just little hash marks, right? So you wouldn't have names. But 1850 and moving forward, 
they would list everybody's name. So at some point, the census takers, because they did a much better job back then than they're doing now, because now nobody wants their information out there. So I'm not going to do the census. You're going to know my information. Right. It's all out there anyway, for Pete's sake, right? Um, but you would track that using the census records. Got it. Got it. So so you were doing genealogy before you retired, and then you picked up, and then you were also writing before you retired, I'm assuming. Yep. And then you picked up the artistry. How did you pick up the artistry? At I assume that was after you retired? Or did you do those? Were you just doing all these hobbies and you just transitioned into a career out of it? Well, I, um, the, the artwork, well, the, the, the writing, the writing piece started, um, writing piece started while I was in the Coast Guard. It started with a, back in 90, I think it was 1990. I had a newspaper op-ed published in the Buffalo News. And I saw my name in print. And I'm like, oh my God, I can write. <laughs> so that's what it was. It's like they actually printed something and put it in the newspaper. My mom was so proud. It was awesome, right? Um, and then I wrote some articles for Great Lakes Boating Magazine. Uh, I did that for about a year when I was uh, working for the Coast Guard at, in Buffalo, New York. And then I started my first book set was documenting the Charter Street Cemetery in Salem, Massachusetts. And that turned out to be seven volumes, you know, um, you know, the large, larger format um, softcover books. So that so the writing actually started before I retired. The art started maybe four or five months before um, I left Hawaii because I was suddenly inspired to paint. Word. Did you know that you were good at this when you started? Because these these are just phenomenal. Well, thank you. Um, I, you know that's that's part of my my codependency issue as well is not recognizing the value of what I do. So I have been told that my artwork is good, and I will say thank you for that, Kevin. Uh, but one of the things that I've been working on for the last two years uh, since working with Allison is, you know, recognizing my value. So now this is something new that I can do. Oh, look at I, that. I'm showing your artwork. <laughs> and by the way, down here where my cursor is, that's Milkbone. That's Milkbone. Yep. And and I I was looking at this one, uh, a Wiley. Wiley. Yep. That's Carrie's dog. How did you get the eyes to do that? That looks so real. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's just those are painting with dots. It's all, it's like a pointillism type technique. It is just amazing what, what you're doing with these. Cause, and, and by the way, if you are a dog lover like I am, my father was, we had a, a dog named Susie. And she was one of his favorites of all time. And we had a portrait done of her uh, before she passed. And, and he, that had a place of honor in his house all the way until he passed. Uh, because he was, it, 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 our animals are so important to us. Mm -hmm. But I, I tell you, 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 are, you are an extraordinarily talented young man. Thank you. Thank you. And there's Munchie. Munchie's the first cat and only cat I've done so far. 
That's because getting a cat to sit still for very long is hard to do. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, hard to photograph. Yeah, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but you get the you get the eyes. You get the, everything looks looks so real. So congratulations on that. That's that is just awesome. Thank you. So, so I can I can do that now. Isn't, isn't that cool? That is cool. That's awesome. But uh, so yeah, if if somebody wants to get a hold of you and would like to commission you, okay. uh, all the all you need is a picture. I would assume, and they can commission you to uh, do their their um, portrait of their animal, or like on here, it's a, on on tile that you're that you're putting them on. So that's that's right. really cool, as well. How do they get a hold of you, John? Well, there's two ways. If you go to the website, which is johnrobertcole.com, or email is johncoleartist at gmail.com. And the reason that the URL is not the same as my email is because somebody else has my URL right now. So don't you hate that? I got a guy. It's a comedy. <laughs> I, I got a guy in 2003 when I did positive talk radio on KKNW the first time. Um, there was another show on there called uh, contact talk radio. Mm -hmm. And uh, um he and this is the early day. This is 2003. I didn't know anything about the internet. I didn't know anything about buying domains or any of that kind of stuff. So he bought positivetalkradio.com. Mm -hmm. He still holds it to this day, mm -hmm. and now he wants twenty six hundred dollars for it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I used so, to. What do they call it? Internet scalping or something like that? They used to have a term for that, right? Yeah. And yeah. yeah that, and so that's why we are positivetalkradio.net because he let .net go because he didn't want to pay that one too. But uh, he's still holding on to that one for $2,600. So it's not worth it to me for that. Yeah, no, it's not. So, but anyway, go to John Cole uh, or johnrobertcole.com yeah. and look at his pets and, uh, and, uh, and commission him to do your, your friend. And uh, before they go, because you'll miss them, and have that having that there is just really cool. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, no, it's they're 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 fun to do. Uh, they're meaningful too. I mean, I um, enjoy. I'm going to use the word connecting. It's not connecting the same way as Christine connects with animals, but I do enjoy connecting in my own way with um, with these animals. It's really nice. It's touching too. It is, and and we each of us can connect to each other and can connect to animals in our own specific way. And uh, it doesn't have to be how anybody else does it. It's how you do it. Yeah. And it means a lot. And it means a lot to the owners. And it's it's really it really is remarkable. So, John, thank you. I, I'm glad that we had this time. We're going to have to do this again, if you don't mind. No, not at all. I'm, I'm not sure about between now and October, though, with the event, because you are one busy man. However, it would be great. It would be great to hook up with you afterwards just to see how everything went. Wouldn't that be? Yeah, fun? I'd love to do a postmortem on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it is amazing. If you look at my schedule, I can't believe how busy I am. Oh, you're popular, and it's awesome. I mean, you do such a great job, Kevin. And I know you've got you've got a great number of people watching your shows, and and some really interesting guests too. So good for you. I, I and you know what's interesting about it is that they come to me because um, apparently this show is unique in in the fact that not a lot of people are doing exactly what I'm doing. 
um because i do it live um warts and all um and we, you know it's not, not always perfect but but uh some really profound information comes out of it and and things like we're the things that you and i've been talking about today everybody goes through yeah it, there really is a commonality to the human experience that that everybody thinks that i'm the first one that that this has ever happened to and then no you're not yeah. it happens to all of us and that's and allison will tell you that yeah yeah we're, we're not alone and that's really the big message i think is that you're not alone you know yeah. anything that anybody's going through you know and and all you somebody's been there you know and they can help that's the important thing they can help yes they can and and if you if you are willing to accept help some some of us have a trouble with that but you know that's we're all this is all a process of growing of of uh, having our experiences and the experiences add up into the sum total of who we are and then we have to we work to do the best we can yeah and exactly. that's all you can do is the best you can so, okay, I'm going to set myself aside over here, and and I, I want you, I want I'm going to give you a, a moment or two to tell our audience the ones that are listening now. Hi, Christine, and the ones that Dr. Marnie, and the ones that are going to be listening later, uh, to tell them anything that you would like them to know. Anything? Okay. Well, first of all, um, for those folks that are either watching live or will watch the replays later, thank you so much for for taking the time to not only listen to. Kevin, but listen to me as well. I mean, it means a lot to me. Um, I think the big thing uh, for me this evening with the Behind the Power event specifically, I'll start with that, is it's going to be an amazing event. Um, earlier today, we had a meeting with the other speakers to go over not only the logistics for it, but also just a little bit about what to expect. It's going to be phenomenal. I've heard all the speeches now from all the other folks that are going to be presenting they're very, very powerful and they're going to be meaningful. And I think if you don't go, you're going to be missing out on what could be the event of the year. And I know that sounds a little cliche, but I'll be honest with you, um, you really would be. So if you can't make it in person, again, there are virtual tickets available, www.behindthepowerevent.com. Uh, we are also all going to be available at the event. So if you'd like to chat with us, just say hi. Or if you want to talk about something a little more in depth, if, you know, we happen to connect, you know, from a spiritual sense, just ask and we will sit down and we will make the time. So uh, that's the first thing. Second thing is the family history, the genealogy. I wanted to touch on that real quick. Family history is incredibly important to all of us because who we are today is because of who we were and where we come from. Um, the more you know about your past, the more you can change your present and your future. So no story is too big and no story is too small and no story is not important. Everybody's story is important. Take the time and write some of it down. Put it in a book. It's not, doesn't have to be expensive. It can be very, very inexpensive. Take the time to do that. Somebody will connect with that and somebody will want to read your story. Um, and then of course, lastly, I'll just let you know, Kevin, that one of the other things I didn't mention is that I am currently in the process of sewing my own shirt for the event. 
So when I get on stage, not only do I paint, write, and do family history, I also sew. So I'm making my own shirts. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty amazing that, that you're doing all all of those things. And yeah. I I wanted to add one more thing to what you just said. And that is this. Everybody's story is important. Um, and one of the saddest things that I find or have found is that for a long time I was doing a company called or a program called Family Legacies mm -hmm. where I would interview somebody who was older and uh, had and they would uh, that they would um, tell me their life story. I'd put it in the CD. I'd wrap it up and then then their family would get it. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is that a lot of older people don't value who they are mm -hmm. or who they were. The first thing that they keep telling me is nobody would be interested in my story. My story is, you know, that was a long time ago. Nobody knows. And, and the, the, the one that specifically, he didn't tell me anything about him when we got it. He was on the, st the staff of George Patton as George Patton was racing across Europe to free Europe from Hitler. Yeah. And then he goes to Hollywood and he meets and works with Bob Hope, Bing Crosby. Um, and, 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 at the, and he was saying, I don't have any value. Yeah. We really, you have value in who you are for every day of your life. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And by the way, <laughs> Holly says, love your patriots, John, portraits, John. Keep up the great work. She also says, great interview. And by the way, you can always go to my website and buy me a cup of coffee. And it's, it's, so there's a little coffee cup in the corner and you can always go do that. And that and that's that's just fun. And oh, and Jerry Murphy says and claps and says hello. Hi, Jerry. And thanks, and, Holly. And way to go, John. So do you know Jerry? I do. Yep. She's in our uh, Unapologetic Power group. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Well, nice to meet you, Jerry, when you're coming on the show. <laughs> uh, so, John, thank you so much for being here. I could not. You. Every time I talk to you, we have a great conversation. And it's fun. And I'm looking forward to you going to do the sew your shirt do the behind the power and then we'll do a postmortem after that. All right. I'll promise I'll wear the shirt too. If that, that, would, <laughs> that would, that would, that would be great. If, if, okay. if what color is the shirt? It's actually mixed colors. So that's a smart man right there. So if soup, soup gets on it, you can just kind of hide it. And then that's the, right. Nobody will know. That's right. <laughs> John, thank you very much. And uh, you have a great day and everybody else, you have a great day too. And uh, so wait right there, John. I'll be right back. All right. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other's 